Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Moments That Made Me with me, your host, Roxy Nafusi. Today, we have another special edition of Your Moments, where I ask you, the listeners, to share your incredible life stories with me. Today, we have the absolutely incredible Davika Wood, co-founder of I Am Arla. And I read through her three moments and I was so moved and touched and I knew that her story was going to inspire so many of you. So I had to bring her on the show. Hi, Davika. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor. Oh, how are you? How's COVID been for you and and in the last nuts year that it's been? I mean, we've made it, right? Today is like a very monumental day. We can finally sit inside. Oh my God, I know. I feel like now is the beginning of the return to, well, a new world really rather than normality a new new beginning yeah exactly I think it's been so hard hasn't it I think everyone's taken a massive toll on their mental health especially in the last lockdown I think it's just been so trialing for so many of us but um it's so good to be out of it so exciting it is so we usually just go straight in dive in at the deep end to your first defining moment here we go. God. Okay. Um, so I am a uh, survivor of domestic violence. Um, and uh, I guess I've been in abusive relationships for about 10 years of my life um, until I met my partner when I was 29, which is about three years ago now, because I'm 31 or two years ago. Um, so my journey's been really kind of far from easy. I felt quite lonely, I felt ashamed. Um, And I think since the day that I actually walked away from my last abusive relationship, um, the fight, like getting back to normality has just been such a struggle. Um, So my story kind of began when I met my partner when I was uh, 18 or 19. We worked together at Abercrombie. um, was the most unassuming person, um, did not fit the stereotype of what everyone thinks is um, going to be an abuser. And I fell head over heels, madly in love. He was only a year older than me. um, And he was what I would say my first love. Although looking back now, there was zero love there. It was not love. And the abuse just sort of um, started within the first three months. Very, very 
straight into it, it was physical abuse. And it really kind of just went out of control from that moment. Um, The abuse was, um, there was hitting, there was spitting, there was punching, all sorts of kind of terrible things that somebody of 19 years old, 18 years old should never have to go through at the same time as, you know, studying for my degree. I almost failed my degree twice and had to retake because of the um, abuse being so bad that I physically couldn't go into university and I would have marks all over my body um, and my self-esteem was in absolute pits. Um, I isolated myself from my family. It was just terrible. Um, I was suicidal on, on so many occasions and I did want to end my life on so many occasions and just every aspect of my life was sort of falling apart at that time. Um, that it was just, I mean, looking back on it now, I just think, how did I even come through it? How did I get that fight and that resilience to pull through um, when it can be such a lonely, lonely world when you're suffering from domestic violence? Oh my gosh. Well, firstly, I'm so sorry that you went through that and it is just so sort of it really is just so kind of like makes you fall sick to your stomach you're even just hearing yeah. it but I have so many questions for you um but obviously only answer whatever you feel comfortable with so in the beginning you say he was really sort of unassuming not your kind of stereotypical person you would ever suspect what was what was he like when you first met him he was charming he was um he was lovely he was a good-looking loved guy um you know loads of friends everyone sort of knew him um and he just swept me off my feet there was no signs there was nothing that I could have probably watched out for um and obviously I've had this moment going over and over in my head um since that day uh, which is what 12 13 14 years ago um but no there was never any signs and he was just a normal normal what 20 year old man um that I just never would have seen it coming oh my god and then after it would like after there would be an incident for example what would happen after that like was there was it a cycle of kind of it would happen and then he would beg for forgiveness and like how how was the cycle playing out yeah so it was it was literally that it would be um the abuse would happen um normally triggered by um jealousy he was a very jealous person um, and he didn't, and it, so he would get triggered and then the arguments would escalate in me wanting to kind of leave the house because he'd be getting really angry and then, you know, he'd pin me to the floor and there'd be, you know, there, there was knives on occasions and there was, I mean, I've had to flee for my life on multiple occasions. Um, but afterwards it would be this series of him crying and apologizing and telling me how much he loved me and sobbing in my arms um, to the point where, you know, in that moment you'd be like, oh, he, you know, he does love me and he's sorry because that was, you know, that's the words he'd be using. Um, and the kind of, I always think of it as like a, a drug addiction that the highs after kind of the literal hits and punches of him being lovely would provide me with the validation and love that he made me crave from him, which was um, the cycle that just perpetuated. And unfortunately, that's the cycle of abuse of any kind, an addiction of any kind um, that you kind of end up in. Yeah. Oh, God. It really is this kind of... <sighs> 
I guess he by in the act of the kind of abuse and the violence, your self-esteem, your self-worth is so damaged and becomes so fragile that then they become your savior in a way on the other side. And they're, so they're, they're both the cause and the relief, which is what makes it all so fucked up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's that when you're so young as well and you're so um, impressionable and it's kind of your first experience of a relationship, of mm -hmm. love, of companionship, you don't know any different um, to, to that moment. And um, that in itself then becomes something so dangerous mm. um, that that you that it can be life changing and and unfortunately that's how I I ended up you know perpetuating that cycle of abuse and staying in abusive relationships because it was all I knew all right. I knew was violence and the the name calling and the punches and the cheating and the put downs um, and that was what I related love to and I so I found it really hard to break that cycle. Um, up until I was 29. How long were you with this guy and how did you finally escape that? So I was with him for um, three and a half years. Wow. Um, and the final um, defining moment was when he quite literally tried to kill me. Um, he, oh my God. One night it went um, our, an argument got very much out of control and um, we were in his apartment um, on a fifth floor um, in Chelsea and um, he repeatedly um, just was pushing me to the floor kicking me punching me mm. pulling me across the floor by my hair to the point where um, he had he had basically thought I'd he in his mind had made up that I'd been cheating on him with one of my very good friends from school which was you know again what happens it's always your fault but it wasn't you know I wasn't obviously um and the night sort of ended in this it was four hours of incessant um, <sighs> abuse and he um he basically his last words to me were pulling me across the floor and saying that if he wasn't going to have me then no one was going to have me um and he, he he tried to pull me towards the balcony to to end my life yeah it makes me emotional thinking about it now even though I you know I talk about it on you know multiple platforms I've spoken about it on panels but you know you never get rid of that fear and you never that moment will never leave your um, mind it took so much strength in that moment for me to push him off me for me to kick him back and and run for my life out of the apartment that night I mean he followed me out to the car I remember sitting in the car and I was shaking and he got a knife and he'd keyed, <gasps> he'd keyed the knife around my car whilst I was sat in oh it oh my god yeah I managed to get the strength to go home to my family home at the time and my I sat I went into my grandmother's bedroom and she had an ensuite but she had she passed away so the, the room was empty and my mum found me in the morning and I'd basically been lying on the floor for about a couple of hours and it was that moment that my mum basically looked at me in the eyes and just said did Jack do this to you <gasps> and I said yeah and then she called the police and that was the moment that um yeah kind of the, I guess the start of the end of that relationship yeah. Oh my God. Oh, it's so emotional talking about it. It's mental. Like it's um It is. It's like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like a horror movie. And what happened to him? So, and this is where I think this I personally think the story gets worse because of the way that 
the case was handled and the way I handled it actually, to be honest, or the way that I guess domestic abuse victims um, are treated. Um, the police came round and um, they went to arrest him um, and he he went and he was arrested and he got put into um, prison for the night. Um, the police then called me up the next day and asked me if I wanted to press charges and I didn't and I dropped I dropped the charges. Now I was a 21 year old girl. I just the night before, you know, almost lost my life. I'd been in the doctors in the morning because he'd, you know, there was bruising and there was damages, et cetera. And I had to go to hospital. I was not in a fit state to, um, to do anything to, mm. to even say my own name, let alone do anything that was going to affect my life or someone that I loved lives. And I use inverted commas with that, but it was dropped. And then that was it. And I just remember the policewoman on the phone saying to me, are you sure you want to do this? You know, you've got all the evidence to press charges. And I said, no, I don't want to. She said, I'm going to tell you something about what he said in the when we were recording him um, because I want you to make a decision on this. And she said that apparently I he had said to them that he didn't touch me, but I bruised like a peach. <gasps> and when he left the uh, police custody, he took a picture of um, where his handcuffs had been around his um, wrists. And there was a mark. And he said, this is what you've done to me. And I still dropped charges. So I feel like I never managed to get the just dessert or the right just for that mm. situation. And I'm and it makes me really sad and concerned that this will probably happen to the one in three women that suffer from domestic abuse. Is it one in three? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I oh God. But the thing is, is is at that time, you were so fragile and so emotionally, physically, like this, like you, there's just no way you could have, like that's a whole nother strength needed to be able to actually, because a part of you was, you know, you'd, you'd left, but you'd only a day before still been with him. So it's quite hard, I, I, I imagine, to know that you're going to put someone in prison or, you know, because there's still that emotional tie, even though it's completely fucked up, right? Exactly, exactly. It's like, it's, I mean, only less than, what, 24 hours before I was completely, utterly helpless that I would die in his hands. And then there was a voice. I always remember the voice in my head. There was two voices. One of them was saying, just don't fight back. Just let it happen because you're nothing without him. And that was what <gasps> made and then the other voice was saying fight back get out like it, it was it was there was just it was just traumatic to the point where the next day unfortunately the one voice that prevailed in my head was you're nothing without him just go back to him oh, just apologize for him and just beg for him to take you back no and yeah and that's sadly what I did as well I, I didn't I wanted to go back with him and that's, and that's, again, that just reinforces the impact of wow. abusive relationships that you can't have 
there can't be something in your brain that's wiring effectively for you to believe that someone could try to take your life and then you would want to be with them in that same instance. Right. So you did then go and try and like, you wanted to get back together. What happened in the weeks after? Sorry, I'm asking you so many questions. I'm just like, oh my God. No, no, honestly, it's really important because I think these are the questions that don't get answered. And these are the questions I think a lot of women who've suffered abuse kind of have the shame around and the guilt mm. um, and the embarrassment because I am I am embarrassed to say that I wanted to be with him every second of that day that passed I became anorexic I didn't eat for seven days I genuinely like wanted to end my life if I didn't have him if he wasn't there right. and I tried every possible way to to get in touch with him and by this point he had like he'd he'd discarded me he didn't he didn't want me back he came back three weeks after when I had started to feel a small sense of strength as that when he then tried to come back into my life. And what happened then? I went back with him. Wow, right. But of course. And my parents, and I put my parents through such, I mean, they kind of, they, they, I think at this point it was sort of like, we can't do anything, we can't stop her. It, It was almost like there was a helpless feeling of, you know, I was I was basically pushing them away to the point mm-hmm. that I didn't I didn't want to listen to reason. I didn't want to listen to yeah. rationality. I wanted to be with that one person that made me feel like I belonged, like I was something. Um, and it was only when he finally left me um, about a month later that then I had to move on and went into another cycle. When you got back together that time was how what like was he being really nice again like what was what was it like at that point he started off nice and then and then it turned the same again the the controlling uh, the controlling aspect became I think double double worse it was just my I lost all sense of my life and I was in the it was in my period of my final exams for my degree Mm. it was a miracle that I even managed to pass I'd failed my first year because of him so I had to retake essentially to get to even pass my degree and I had to retake a whole year and he was so controlling that I could barely even kind of go and study because he was just not letting me out of his sight and I was just walking on eggshells and I was I was just a shadow of myself and it was only when he basically left me that you know I had to then pass my exams and he left me a week before my exams oh gosh but thank god that he did thank the lord that he did um and i think thank thank the universe for giving me that strength and that resilience and that fight inside of me to to do everything i possibly could to pass those exams because it then helped me to go on to become the success that i am but it didn't it didn't stop me from going into other abusive relationships and that cycle continued um throughout my entire 20s unfortunately and and that's the bit that I think is the most the scariest so when you kind of you you, he left you kind of moved on and then as you go into other um abusive relationships because obviously of course with a lot of women we see and men we see people going into patterns of relationships so they repeat the pattern repeat the behavior but I always wonder how you know how much of it really is just subconscious our kind of inner workings are really drawing us to people who are toxic who are abusive 
or whether it's conscious. So I'm just interested when you for say went into your next relationship, had the person given signs at the, that person given signs at the beginning that they were going to repeat the pattern? Or do you think it was more subconscious than that? So the next person that was abusive definitely gave the signs at the beginning. hundred percent. He right. was, um, he, he was just a playboy essentially he was a like he was he was was not nice to me he was that you know that playing that whole basically uninterested and then just present and then not present and Mm. um cheating on me in front of my eyes the level that I was expecting from him was pure dirt I allowed him to treat me like dirt from the beginning the signs were all there obviously in my face I had such little self-worth that I didn't believe that I was better or deserved more than what he was giving me that's all I believed I was I was worth there was also something to be said for the fact of when you have an abusive relationship you are used to that roller coaster of adrenaline of Mm. the highs and lows and you crave it just like you crave when you have a drug addiction right and that people often don't think of the two things as the same but the abuse and the drug abuse is the same synapses it's the same Mm. nervous system that's being impacted so you're you're you are going to be having the same manifesting the same um personality traits and the same results Um, and that's that was what was so so sad about it oh my goodness I'm just so happy you're here today talking about this and like I'm just so touched by your bravery and your honesty and I think you are right that so many women listening to this who have felt maybe embarrassed about going back or any of those horrible feelings of shame or guilt or anything I'm actually by understanding that there is it is it is like any other addiction and you know I hope it really does encourage them to to help begin to let go of that shame, to let go of that self-blame and understand that all the reactions, they're just doing the best that they can in that time. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's what all of my moments, and I think that's why all of the moments I've experienced in my life have led me in some way to have a purpose, I really believe, to try and support other women to get rid of that shame and to to open up the conversations and bring awareness to it because you know it's such a lonely dark world when you're experiencing abuse and trauma and it can come in all multifacets um you know from sexual abuse to child abuse to any sort of abuse that you go through you're shrouded in this shame and guilt because we don't talk about it because we're taught to to live behind a veil of just darkness and, and deal with it internally because you know, to talk about something so vulnerable is is an embarrassing feeling. And because no one else is talking about it, you feel like you're the only one suffering in silence. So I'm hoping that through sharing that story, you know, other women can feel like they can talk about it and then get the help that they need um, when they need it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, you know, from me and all the women that you're helping with sharing your story. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. If you like this podcast, then why not check out one of our other amazing Create podcasts? If you just want a good laugh, then check out The Weekly Roast. Listen, listen, bitch. Oh, listen, make, make, make an entrance. I'm a week off sugar. Bad, uh, I, will, I will fly <laughs> to the UK and I will cut you both <laughs> For the more cultured ones among you, join Laura Wright for music in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm so let's glad go. no one can see me right now because I'm doing, I was doing some weird <laughs> dance moves. You had nothing then, yeah. Prefer a deep chat? Connie's got you covered on How Are You? The Wellbeing Podcast. I just became a lot more productive and happier. And for me, like, that's just worth it. The Weekly Roast, Music in My Life, and How Are You? Just three more podcasts to feast your ears on. Find them wherever you found this podcast. So let's move on to your second defining moment. So my second defining moment, um, I would say is um something that I've never spoken about and um it's actually probably the one the most scariest ones for me um and one I think you know I really wanted to to touch on and use this podcast to to talk about it so I um I cared for my grandmother since the age of 10 and she passed away like I said when I was 21 um so during that time I was a young carer um which is um you know one in eight young carers um are under eight years old and there's actually six young carers in every secondary school classroom but you know people don't talk about being a young carer um wow. so I cared for her and um she had her first stroke and she got dementia and um her kind of decline in her health was so rapid over that period of time that um I became that kind of main carer for her alongside my mum mm. and um she had multiple carers coming in and out during that time but the the care world is so fragmented and so poorly regulated and so low paid that you often end up with overworked and and underqualified people who do it either for a passion reason or because it's the most easy work to get unfortunately right. so you get some vast variety in the in the kind of level and and type of carers that you come in so um being through that was a really really huge moment in my life of just experiencing that for such a young age and obviously you know caring for her whilst experiencing my abuse was also something that was a massive challenge for me that I realized that there was a much better way to 
to get carers to to people. And I built a company when I was 26 um, called Vida, which was a technology company, which was basically Uber for care. I um, built the company up as a female founder, um, of which there are not many female founders in the UK. I think only 11% of women run companies and gain investment, um, which is a like a very, very, very poor statistic, which only just shows the kind of inequality that women get in the workplace. Mm. Um, and I had this company, I built it for four years. It was really successful. I became Forbes 30 under 30. I was recognized for my for my efforts and the work that I was doing. And unfortunately, two and a half years ago or two years ago, I got bullied out of my company um, and went through a really terrible discrimination case. Not something that I've spoken about before, but something that um, really, really impacted me and and the work that I now want to try and do for other female founders. I think the problem persisted from that was a very male focused and male heavy leadership position um, leadership where there was periodic kind of gender discrimination that I experienced mm. um, and I ended up getting kind of bullied out by um, by three of the XCOM that were trying to kind of take control of the company and it was one of those moments where I ended up in a position where my entire company was taken away from me um, through this kind of case. I ended up having to leave. I was I, I forced myself to leave because my mental health was in such a bad place. And I ended up having um, suicidal kind of feelings again. And I think the whole thing was kind of persisting from that abuse that I'd experienced, obviously, in relationships all the way through to that feeling in my company of experiencing that gender discrimination and bullying um that it ended up me just having to walk away because it was you know I was in such a it was in such a bad bad place and I think going through that was such a scary moment of the reality of what females experience kind of on that gender-based violence and that abuse side that there really needs to be kind of stronger services for women to access for them to become like the leaders that I think we're all born to be. Um, so that's kind of my second most incredible, I think, moment that made me who I am um, and kind of how I now see myself and what I think women should access. I was something I'm really passionate about trying to put into place. God, that's incredible. I mean, firstly, the fact that through you know, everything that you were going through personally, you were able to, and not just the relationships and the abuse, but caring for your grandmother, the heartache of all of that as well. Um, I mean, you have one hell of a lot of inner strength. It's, it's remarkable. And to build this company is amazing, but for it to then be taken away from you, I can only imagine, is just another heartbreak because your business does become a baby. It's something that you nurture, you see it grow, you, you put in all your time and, and, and energy into it. Yeah. I can't imagine how stressful that period of time must have been. Yeah. It was, um, I know I was thinking about this quite long and hard. I think there was some really nasty things that went on in that time. And to take away the company from me that had been set up on the premise of kind of getting, you know, the right carers. And it was all set up on my own story of, you know, what I cared for my grandmother. 
um, you know, we raised a lot of money and we raised, I think, around six million pounds. And we had, you know, multiple shareholders who were all men. There was a very male heavy leadership position. Um, and I just didn't have the confidence again and that self-worth to to really, I guess, probably stand up against the bullying that I was experiencing. And it just made me realize that, you know, looking at the statistics, for example, I mean, I've like done so much research into this now, like for every one pound of venture capital investment in the UK, all female founder teams get less than one P and then all male founder teams get 89p. Oh my god. It's mental the like the the disparity between how females are funded and kind of workplace equality is so it's so extreme and in my situation, you know, I had basically it became vultures. Like there was like these two excom mainly or three male excom that wanted to take control of the company and push me out and to push me out they discriminated against me they made claims against me being emotional and erratic and created loads of emails to create email chains of of making up stories about me and and me and using my emotions as a woman as a reason to get me out of a senior position looking back on that stuff now I just think how does that still happen in the 21st century (laughs) yeah how how do, how how are we allowing these things to to persist and even on a basic terms you know i was being paid half the salary of some of my of my male counterparts even though it was no. my own company yeah no and, yeah and i was allowing it to happen to the point where i would go into the boardroom and i would question why my salary was less or they were taking home more pay And it would be like, they would mention things like experience or, you know, they are more of the gray haired person that needs that salary. And I'm thinking, no, because on a base of like on a, on a level playing field, my experience is just as valid and important. And what I bring as a skill set and qualification is just as important, but I didn't have that confidence to sit in that room and back myself. Mm. And I think a lot of women don't have that confidence to sit in the room and back themselves. Yeah. And I think there's a big gap in what we need to be plugging. And, you know, there are so many incredible coaches out there now and like life coaches, professional coaches. And I know you do a lot of coaching and I think it's incredible that there are women empowering other women to really fulfill and, and move into that realm of being the best person they possibly can be because there is a severe need for it that I I really went through yep that is what it's all about empowering women to be the best of themselves and unlock their fullest potential so Dvika what is your third defining moment so my third one I have thought long and hard about what I would actually say that defining moment is and and my defining moment is what led me to where I am today and I think it was the first moment that I met my partner Jamie um two years ago I had always been in abusive relationships and I told this cycle of abuse had been persistent and pervasive throughout my entire life and it was just it was getting to the point where I'd kind of lost hope and I really didn't see the way out and I just lost all sense of like that strength and that confidence and I met Jamie and it was my first ever you know moment of being loved for the first time in my life by 
a male person who wasn't abusive to me and wasn't harming me. It was my first experience of a safe and healthy relationship out of the abuse. There's a lot to be said for, you know, I'm all for female empowerment and being that strong woman. But, you know, when you when I was, you know, all the abuse I experienced, having somebody beside me as my biggest champion and my biggest support and actually feeling loved and safe for the first time in my life pivoted me to now go into that next phase of my life, which is founding Ayamala. Um, he gave me that confidence in myself and reignited my self-belief to really do something and talk about the abuse that I've experienced and really create a platform for other women and he would be that moment I think of meeting him has really got me to this point and I know it probably sounds really gushing but it I think it deserves the credit that it's due that you know it deserves moment but so it, so essentially he was the one that when I said I wanted to found Ayamala he was like you know you need to do this and so then it went on to building Ayamala which is a platform where we want to help women build basically an indestructible sense of self-worth after after trauma so we really want to put the focus on mental health and self-worth um, to be foundational to all forms of like that success in the life and I realized that this didn't exist when I was experiencing my trauma there was no women to go where they could rebuild their lives and access resources and services and and see like a plethora or directory of coaches that they could tap into or therapists that were going to support them on their journey to rebuild that self-worth and also have a platform for for women to share their stories because after sharing my story of surviving domestic abuse um I found out more and more women experience trauma obviously and struggle with life after trauma and so when I did first share my story because you know Jamie was pushing me to do it and he was that person that made me feel invigorated and confident myself again so many women came forward and started sharing their stories on on the IMR platform um and so now it's kind of built and become what it is which is just a really exciting exciting place that I feel like we can really start to help women who've experienced trauma and abuse oh I love this I mean Firstly, congratulations on Ayamala. What a brilliant platform. And um, I just, I just like, just incredible. And I love that phrase, indestructible self-worth. Was it indestructible self-worth? Yeah, indestructible sense of self-worth. Yeah, exactly. So beautiful. I love, love, love that. And I love that you've given credit to your to your now uh, partner because I think sometimes, I think firstly, it's really important for people, anybody listening who has been through any kind of toxic relationship whether that is emotionally physically abusive or um or toxic in 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 the sense that we can all experience toxic relationships but to know that there is that doesn't mean that it's always going to be like that that is rude there can be change you can meet someone who can treat you the way that you deserve and I think that that really is because a lot of people just when you're in something, you just don't see another way. You just think, oh, I'm never going to find like real love. But just even just to hear that um, you have, I think after a series of abusive relationships is so inspiring. Um, and I do think there are people that just come into our lives and just absolutely change it and give us the help to give us the 
self-belief and just to support us and just be our teammate and our cheerleader and um you know just in our corner and so I just think that's so so beautiful and I'm so glad that like you say you did give it the credit it deserves because you know we need to we need to appreciate the people around us because many of us a lot of people obviously have to do things alone but when you do when you can't when you do have someone that can help you that is you know we have to just be so grateful for it as well so thank you so much and uh what's next for the I am Arla platform so we're in this process of rebranding and relaunching it um so since we obviously launched it was during the first lockdown um we have come up with kind of a rebrand so it's really exciting um so I guess what we're doing is we've got um my co-founder Lucy she's kind of she's launched this Lucy Spice of Practice where she's going to be vetting and bringing in um all the kind of coaches and therapists onto the platform so that um women can access and find and and be directed to kind of what they want to choose and what's right for them so that's kind of in the midst as well um and then we want to really build out and bring to life workshops and content um events and panels we just essentially want to teach our community how to take control of their life after trauma take care of their mental health create their versions of fulfillment I think it's really important that um just like people focus on you know the trauma itself I want to try and bring awareness and and work with people and have people on the platform that can really help people form healthy relationships, find those like good relationships, but also become the badasses that they need to be in the workplace. Because I think I've proven that trauma just affects so many aspects of your life. Um, So, I mean, it affected my work, it affected my company, it affected my self-belief and only through rebuilding that and giving you access to the right people at the right time are you going to be able to kind of really go into becoming that best version of yourself so there's so much stuff coming in the pipeline which we're really excited about and we want to work with as many people to just become that one go-to place for women who have suffered from trauma and mental health so that they can just feel supported and safe and around a community of other incredible inspiring women to get them on that journey of just fulfillment so yeah so much stuff coming and I'm so excited I'm so excited for you um well look thank you so so much before we go I have a few very quick quick fire questions for you so the first question is your most memorable book oh um a fine balance it's an incredible book. It's about um, Indian uh, apartheid. It's brilliant. Oh, amazing. Um, favorite quote? You're never given a dream that's impossible to achieve. <gasps> oh, I love that. Most influential mentor? My mum. Oh. She's such a badass and she's just been with me throughout thick and thin. Oh, I love that. Uh, your go-to feel-good film? The Heat, Melissa McCartney, McCarthy and Sandra Oh my God, Bullock. it's so good. Oh my god, I've watched it like That's such a good shout. <laughs> so good. Um a moment where you felt most proud. When I was the face of the United Nations campaign, she's impossible to ignore. It got oh launched. My god, hello. Wow. Yeah, billboards of Times Square. What um it was incredible. Slide that in at the end of the podcast. What the <laughs> hell? Did I know I didn't even 
and make the top three moments. <laughs> a song that cheers you up. Right side of the road, Van Morrison. Mm, oh my God. Right, we need to be buddies. Top tip for dealing with stress. Um, write down what you need to do as soon as you get up, just make a list and then you just cross it off as you go throughout the day. Organisation. Love a list. First person you call to share good news. Jamie. Jamie, love you. Davika, thank you so, so much for being an incredible guest on The Moments That Made Me and for sharing your story and for helping so many women on their journeys. Um, Just thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Roxy. You're amazing, seriously. And you've inspired me so much. So keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you, my love. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.